This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Brett Leonard is an American film director, producer, and music video director specializing in science fiction and horror. He also hosts a podcast called What the F is the Metaverse? One of Leonard's first films, The Lawnmower Man, is considered the first significant movie to feature virtual reality as a cautionary tale, long before our present fascination with all things virtual production. But before getting that far in his career, Leonard had plenty to learn about filmmaking. I wanted to make films from the time I was two years old. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and my mother was a film fan. And so she raised me watching movies with her. Sometimes on the afternoon show, she'd keep me home from school. I could fake having a fever for my father, who was a school principal. So cinema was connected to me with mother love. I just love cinema. And of course, being in Toledo, Ohio, I was very far from you know where cinema was created. So once I hit teenage years, I started going out to California and based out here very young, around 20 years old and just started to develop feature projects. I mean, a thing that can almost not happen now. Someone from completely outside, no family money, no connections, nothing, just working a job in Santa Cruz, California. I did base up in Northern California, and that really did affect my career because, of course, Santa Cruz was the bedroom community for Silicon Valley, the developing Silicon Valley. And so I got to hang out with people like Jobs and Wozniak at a time when I was just forming as a filmmaker. And then, of course, George Lucas and Francis Coppola were in the Bay Area, Phil Kaufman. I mean, this sort of renegade group of filmmakers who were also extremely successful in Hollywood. So I never felt I needed to go to Hollywood to develop my career. I did it from Santa Cruz. My first film was a zombie movie called The Dead Pit. Think your last thought, Doctor. <clears throat> which I made very cheaply, and it did very well, actually, uh, in the home video world. Even in The Dead Pit, which is a very low-budget film, I was doing miniatures, explosions, trick prosthetic effects. I just was always into how to integrate the tricks and tools of cinema from a special effects standpoint, which I didn't see as special. I saw them as cinema. (laughs) So when the digital computer came along, And that changed everything in terms of digital production. I was part of that. I was there during that process of shifting from the analog world to the digital world. With the Commodore VIC-20, the whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. At the very beginning of seeing the uh, eruption of computer graphic effects and how that was changing everything, I came into contact with virtual reality very early through a guy named Jaron Lanier, who actually coined the term virtual reality. Everything about virtual reality that's powerful and beautiful happens because of how human beings are at the center of all of its conception and the way it's designed. And then that led me to my second film, The Lawnmower Man. Now, The Lawnmower Man was really a movie designed to showcase a true sort of cyber aesthetic of the CGI. It wasn't trying to be photorealistic New York being blown up yet. It was more fanciful in connection to this idea of virtual reality. So for me, I've been associated with it since The Lawnmower Man popularized the term virtual reality globally as a film in 192. I've been bleeding from being a, just a storyteller of virtual reality and technology to actually working with the actual medium and technology of virtual environments, virtual experience, immersive experience, all of those things writ large, many, many projects over the years. So I've been thinking about virtual production and these tools for a very long time. No. I feel a little tingling sensation in your hands, but don't panic. It's okay. I'm right here with you. That's all part of the game. Cortex simulation engaged. 
Leonard faced intense challenges in depicting the high technology and virtual worlds we take for granted today, but 30 years ago were science fiction concepts. It was crazy. To make feature films, and especially to make cutting-edge, technologically sophisticated feature films on a budget, means you have to be mad. But you have to find other people that are mad and insane and talented in their areas to go along with you. So I found these great companies, Chaos Images and Angel Studios, who were not the big companies in computer graphic effects at that time, and they wanted to show their stuff. And we had 27 minutes of digital effects in The Lawnmower Man for a $5 million film when the other film that year was T2 with seven minutes at $120 million. Of course, our aesthetic was different, but we were celebrating the idea of doing things with these tools that were more efficient, more cost-effective. And that's actually where we're at right now with virtual production, finding ways of making real-time processes and even procedural processes at the core of what image production is, of what media production is, of what feature film and television production is, and ultimately what world building is for this new thing that's not really new that everyone's calling the metaverse. With fantastical technologies becoming a reality more and more each day, Leonard is interested in how they can also serve filmmaking. How do we create something from first thought on that is using the technology, not limiting ourselves by the 1935 thought process that almost all production is still based in, even to this day, even using a lot of the virtual production tools, it's all still toe dipping. Now, of course, there is a Hollywood component that's using it very effectively and affects projects like Mandalorian and utilizing things that we're calling a virtual production technique. But of course, that virtual production is basically rear screen projection with LEDs with tracking, which is brilliant combination, very simple. It actually goes back to first principles <laughs> in many ways of the effects world. But there needs to be a whole rethinking of the front end process of virtual production to the, what the tools are capable of outside the usual metric of how we think about, especially feature film production, which is very tradition and custom bound. Because the truth is, is that real-time procedural generation of content and the democratization of creation of media is where virtual production really goes. Procedural generation of characters, environments, even story tropes, things that really are world building assets, world building components that lead to a metaverse version of an IP that also spins off other traditional forms of media like TV series and feature films. Although many see the leaps in virtual production lately as futuristic, for Leonard, it's only the beginning. The effects world and the real-time gaming world are all converging right now, and it's going to democratize the creation of content, and content that's also interactive and really a world, not just a static piece of media. I'm actually working on a project right now that I can announce called Dark Star. It's written by Sean Stone, Oliver Stone's son, and it's an interdimensional sci-fi thriller with metaphysical overtones, so very much in line with Lawnmower Man in many ways, but also an expansion of those ideas and themes into the modern moment right now. And uh, we're starting to create it with fully procedural tools, with a company that has developed those procedural tools in a very different way than a lot of the other virtual production techniques. It's not volumetric capture. It's not sort of a chunky production process. It's actually being able to very quickly synergize different assets together to create a world and then be able to up-level the quality of that world very easily as the technology becomes available to do so. 
So it changes the nature of the timing of creation. It changes the nature of your collaborative process. You can actually involve the quote-unquote audience, which are really now participants in the virtual world. So for me, virtual production as a theme is way beyond just getting tools to make special effects better or make special effects more efficient and cost-effective. It's something that revolutionizes the idea of content creation itself. Though he's a filmmaker, Leonard also sees vast potential for therapeutic applications of virtual technology. I'm part of a company called VPI, Virtual Psychedelics Incorporated, which one of my primary co-founders is Dr. Albert Skip Rizzo, who runs the ICT lab at USC for almost 20 years now and has been the foremost virtual clinician in curing PTSD addiction issues with virtual behavioral therapy. So I thought, what if we take virtual reality and game fight things and put it all together and build rehab tasks that would be fun and engaging and get people to actually do the work? He's been doing it for over 20 years, has 300 plus peer reviewed papers. He's got the corpus of knowledge and data and actual science behind how virtual behavioral therapy changes you. One of the reasons he got into it, not the only reason, but he saw my movie 30 years ago. And so the reason we're working together is because we have this connection. I told a story, he looked at it, he was going for his psychology PhD, and he said, I'm going to shift my stuff into VR. And I think he'd already been thinking about it, but then, he, you know, Lawman really codified that conversation for a lot of people, especially since it actually showed therapeutic outcomes. I mean, that was one of the positive aspects I was showing of virtual reality. Of course, the film is also a cautionary tale <laughs> about the more negative aspects, which I think are still very, very apropos in terms of the discussion. We have to really be aware that the stakes are high with immersive virtual experience, and we need to really create in a positive direction. So for me, part of that is being part of a company that is focused on therapeutic health and wellness outcomes with VR as a concept. Along with the potential for good, there's also the possibility of technology's use for evil purposes, which Leonard explored by depicting rogue AI in movies like Virtuosity. I'm a 50 terabyte self-evolving neural network double backflip off the high platform. I'm not a swan dive. This is a kind of crazy time because I made these movies and one of them 30 years ago now that really established me and connected me as one of the OG people in the VR world. And they're more apropos now than ever. I mean, the whole idea of a rogue AI blending the metaverse with the real world. There's, you know, one of the first times nanotechnology was shown in that film, Virtuosity. So I look at it now and go, man, that's actually sort of like a movie that's being made right now. It was a very forward-thinking film, and it was made with Sherry Lansing heading up Paramount. She was fantastic to work with, one of the only women that ran a studio, except for Dawn Steele and her. And it was fantastic, a uh, process where we got to do something very forward-thinking. It was a little too forward-thinking for the audience when it first came out. It was like, what the hell is this? Matter of fact, some of the critics were like, this is a very sophisticated movie, but it seems like a video game. And they said that as a slight and I go, yeah, well, that's the theme of the film. It's about gaming and game characters coming into the real world. And of course, now that's really what's going on. I mean, it's a kind of interesting arc that we've had. I thought it was all going to happen much quicker than it did. But now here we are 30 years later, and the themes of these movies and the realities of these movies, that are very fanciful in many ways, are actually coming to be. As a visionary who showcased virtual reality gear as commonplace more than three decades ago, Leonard believes one day we will surpass the headset as an interface. 
the more frictionless we can get virtual experience, the better it's going to be. And that delivery friction is part of the thing that slows the adoption rates of this. Not everybody wants to strap a box on their head. Now, one of the things we're doing with a VPI is we have something called the Chrysalis Project, and it's to create an immersive media environment for what I call medicinal immersive media, MIM, in a non-headset-based environment that screens, three-dimensional sound, biometric feedback, smells, and attaching all those things. And we're deep into the creating the prototype of the Chrysalis right now as a way of delivering virtual immersive experience for health and wellness outcomes primarily initially, but also can be utilized in an entertainment sense. So these are things that are happening right now. And of course, AR glasses that are very light and sort of transparent are going to be coming soon. And that's going to extend us and our ability to have virtual experience in the metaverse in a much more comfortable way. It's important we design in a way that is built for the real world and doesn't take you away from it. And AR gives us new ways to accomplish this. Leonard also observes how VR has become deeply intertwined with the metaverse and related concepts. Even though there's this big downturn happening right now in metaverse and NFTs, and of course, this is an emerging revolutionary thing. It's going to go through a lot of strum and drain. And right now is a time for separating the wheat from the chaff in this area. And so for me, that's about how can you tell a more compelling story? How can you create a story world that people want to inhabit and exist within and interact with that utilizes the emotional engagement of cinema and of mise-en-scene and yet gives the agency of gameplay? And that undiscovered country is where I'm most interested. And so I've been working on something called narrative magnets for a very long time, how to create narrative tropes and narrative fragments within the context of a world experience. Because story is embedded in the racial unconscious of the human species. I believe it's part of our DNA at this point. And so we need to activate that in this new metaverse world. Again, not necessarily dystopian stories or cautionary tales now, but to actually point towards the positive usage, like the positive usage of virtual experience therapy being something that can create health and wellness outcomes. And there's science behind it now. The science that Dr. Skip Rizzo has created and many other groups, John Hopkins, Cedar sinai they're doing these virtual behavioral therapy trials that are showing great efficacy. Leonard also sees a world in which the virtual and physical worlds become parallel, but wonders about the ethical ramifications. We're going to be having a digital twin virtual world that whole generations will think is just a natural part of human interaction. They're going to think of it just like we think of roads. Roads came because of the automobile. First before that, horses and carriages. But it just that idea of things before roads, think about that. Before the metaverse is like that foundational. And then you have roads. You have a whole other way of human interaction. The old road was not only a road, it was a way of life. Slow and often rough. This idea of travel and creating efficiencies around it, all these things that change everything about the human experience and the interaction between people and the species. So that's what the metaverse, that's what virtual experience is going to be, which is why I've told stories about it. I think it's a very compelling mythology that's happening, that we're in the emergence of, we're in the origin story of this thing that's going to change the nature of human experience. And we need to really push those of us that are really in the medium towards these things that are about feeling better as opposed to feeling worse. We want to push it in a direction that's not about war, that's not about 
conflict. And this is a very challenging moment to do that because we're in such polarization. But I think we have to create a protocol and an ethos, an ethical framework around virtual experience that actually pushes us into a more positive direction of interaction. And so I'm going to tell stories about that. They're kind of embedded in a lot of the films I've made thus far and also going to be embedded in films and other worlds that I create from this point on. You know, it's funny, Robert Altman, the great filmmaker who made 44 films, said that you only make one movie and just different chapters of it. And I tend to believe what Bob said. Leonard also views the pandemic as a technological catalyst pushing people into new modes of interaction. It accelerated us at least five years. I really believe that. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, myself and a lot of the people in the virtual world that I'm connected with all felt this very palpably. It's like, this is one of the things that's going to push this into greater ubiquity. And it has. Even the headsets, which are still problematic, you know, the Quest 2 is sold, going to be near 20 million units. I think they report 15, but, you know, people think there's about 20 million units out there. And that is starting to become a mass marketed accessibility. So... We're definitely in the transition phase. And that's why it's the most important phase to establish things, to look at it holistically and actually produce from a holistic vision of how these tools allow from the very first thought on from ideation on to change the creative and collaborative process and making these kinds of worlds and stories and media. That's the more exciting thing that's happening right now. As a VR veteran, Leonard often gets asked by newcomers where to study to get more into this virtual world. They should be embracing the tools and what they're capable of without trying to fit into what has been. Because what has been has been a very closed system. I mean, I made it into what I think of as the last phase of the old Hollywood. That was my career span, that transition. I, I watched Hollywood's end, essentially, and now seeing it morph into a different version of itself. There are things that are similar, but there are many things that have changed. And actually, you know, ability of young directors like myself or Quentin Tarantino to come out of nowhere and become, that's more difficult now. So the Hollywood pipeline has become a more narrow funnel, but the tools are democratizing everything in a way that actually affords and opens up much greater opportunity for the democratization of creative process. You know, what people call the creator economy, these buzzwords that are going around, that which is just coming off of a very true trend. And so, you know, one of the things I did for my visual effects projects all through my career, because I was usually working with budgets that were smaller and had to be more effective and more efficient, I used new talent very often. I found people in basements doing interesting things with 3D Studio Max and these new tools. So embrace the new tools and find your own way of creation that's going to be more organic to what those tools are allowing and for the new generation of creators who are coming along. And then also open up the process, experiment with the process, experiment with group collaboration, experiment with these different modalities that this technology allows. Cinema has always advanced through technological enablement and the revolutionary nature of that, and it's changed it at every step. This is, for me, another evolution in cinema. You know, cinema is sort of my core base religion, but uh, it really is immersive experience, a very different thing as well. So there's paradoxes involved here, and embrace those differences, embrace the new procedural, fast creation that's possible with these tools, and then find a new aesthetic, find a new style that's all your own that comes out of that process experimentation. Although Hollywood is making big waves in virtual production these days, 
Leonard sees plenty of room for smaller teams and more modest voices. There are definitely big Hollywood entities that are playing around with this, and they're going to move at their pace. They're much more tradition and custom-bound than smaller, more facile companies. So I think a lot of smaller groups and even individuals will be pushing this forward in ways that are going to be astonishing. A new generation of creators coming in that are embracing whole new modalities of creation. That's what I'm looking at. And then, of course, the biggest sort of secret sauce to all this is what people call AI. I don't think of it as artificial. I think of it as augmented intelligence or extended intelligence. And the creation and procedural creation that is afforded by the evolution of AI is just astonishing. It's blowing my mind. There are things that are scary about that. But let's talk about that. Let's discuss that. Let's do the process experimentation that shows us what it's capable of and also embed within that process experimentation the discussion of what needs to be there as a protocol, as a framework that has some ethical component to it, because these are very powerful things that are coming. And so I would say embrace the new tools, find your own process, and also embrace the responsibility of what this new medium is affording. He also hopes that more positive voices will work together and make the technology a benefit to humanity. It's going to happen that it gets adopted and many not necessarily positive uses will happen. That's humanity. That's the strum and drang, the mess of this planet and the species. But at the same time, it affords a tremendous opportunity to embrace a new way of interaction, to make the virtual world a place that can have greater peace, that can have at its core, dare I say it, love more so than war, more so than conflict. And I believe that that's also very possible. I think even AI could help us in that context. Again, these are all story tropes that, you know, have existed in science fiction for very long. And they're the mythopoetic nature of these story pieces. And that mythology coming in is what we have to make decisions on. And so telling the stories and asking the questions with those stories, just like I did with Lawler Man and Virtuosity, there are many questions that are asked in those films that's what's important, especially with the kind of technical innovation that we're having now. Leonard sees young minds and their fresh perspectives as key to solving the world's challenges. There's a horizon factor. I think we could solve climate change. I think we could solve many, many things with technical innovation that we can't see right now. I went to this very amazing gathering of young people, young inventors, you know, 14 to 17 years old. And they're like, get out of our way. We're going to figure this out. This young kid was developing bacteria in his garage that ate nuclear waste, and they were going to use it around Fukushima. This was several years ago. Things like that. I'm like, these are the people. This is the young people. That's why embracing a new process for a younger generation and really leaning into that. And for me, there's a mentorship aspect to that as I create. That's really important right now so that we can actually push the evolution of what these technologies are able to do, both from a technological standpoint, an enablement standpoint, and an evolutionary consciousness standpoint. And of course, that's the core of the stories I like to tell. It's an amazing time of innovation, and we should push it as far as it possibly can go, and also embrace new creative modalities in ourselves as artists, as storytellers, as story worlders that allow us to utilize this technology in its most effective and positive way possible.
been listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Special thanks again to my guest, Brett Leonard. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Abel Cine. We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. The Virtual Production Podcast is brought to you in part by Puget Systems, an integrator specializing in high-end desktop systems perfectly suited to virtual production. Please visit them at pugetsystems.com. And by Blackmagic Design, one of the world's leading innovators and manufacturers of creative video technology, which also work very well with virtual production. Please also let us know if there's a subject or guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again, and see you next time.